Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. What a beautiful picture this is, really. So I love this, to give them beauty for ashes. And, you know, this is one of those passages, again, where we just take this and we say, Lord, in, you know, sometimes in the circumstance we find ourselves in, we find ourselves where we need to be comforted. We find ourselves where we are mourning. And God will come and he will give beauty for ashes. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Isaiah chapter 60 through 62. Now here's Pastor Brian. A light shining brighter than the sun. And so here the Lord will be everlasting light. And the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also, your people shall be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Now, chapter 61, here we go again, another great messianic passage. And so the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This passage you will find in Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, we have the account of Jesus going into the synagogue in Nazareth, where he grew up. And there in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, he was called upon to do the reading for the day. And when they opened the, the scroll, it was open to this place right here. Now, the Jews for centuries and centuries and centuries have had a a liturgy that included a Sabbath reading. So every Sabbath day to this very day, the Jews have a specific text that they read. And, you know, they've broken down the biblical text and they've, it's like an annual, a reading for each Sabbath day of the year. So on this particular Sabbath day, this is the scripture reading. And Jesus stands and he reads this passage. And then he rolls the scroll back up and he says this. He says, today, this word is fulfilled in your hearing. And we read there that everyone looked at him. And it says that they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. But then they said, what? What what is he saying? Isn't this uh, the son of the carpenter? Isn't this the son of Mary? How is it that he's, what is he doing? What is he saying? Well, what was he saying? He was saying that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. This day, this word is fulfilled in your hearing. 
And indeed, he was the fulfillment of that. But what we have here is a beautiful picture of the work of the Messiah, the the ministry of the Messiah, the mission, if you will, of the Messiah. This is what he came to do. And let's just walk through it. Well, first of all, he says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. So the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So remember, the, the, the word anointed is the same word as Messiah. So the Lord has commissioned him to be the, the Messiah, the, the one upon whom God's spirit rests. And what is the mission? To preach good tidings to the poor. To preach good tidings to the poor. You know, God's heart all the way through the Bible is revealed for the poor. God has a special place in his heart for the poor. And Jesus came to preach good tidings to the poor. Now, this isn't just the poor materially, although it certainly is referring to that, but it's referring to the person who is poor in the sense that they recognize that they are in deep spiritual need. Jesus came to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me, the Lord sent him, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. You know, when you think about these these things, they're so powerful. I mean, think of a world filled with poverty and think of a world filled with brokenhearted people and think of a world filled with people who are bound up and held captive to sin and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I mean, that is the world that we live in. And Jesus was sent by the Lord to proclaim good tidings. And and this is the message that Jesus brought, and this is the message that we bring as well. Years ago, a friend of mine, who I had at that time probably shared the gospel with for, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, and every now and again, you know, once a year, maybe once every two years, I would just get a random phone call from him, and I'll never forget this phone call one night. He called me and he asked me this question. He said, what does the Bible have to say for a person with a broken heart? And I said, well, let me tell you what the Bible has to say. And I just went right straight to this passage. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. So I had this conversation with him. It lasted about an hour. And... um, you know, that was it. Didn't hear from him again for a few years. And then about, I don't know, 10 years later, had, you know, rare contact with him over the 10 years. Suddenly, our lives came together again through some really bizarre circumstances. And to make a long story short, it was then that he finally opened his heart to receive Christ 
And today he's walking with Jesus. He loves the Lord. God's done a beautiful work in his family. And it's amazing. And I think though of that, that moment, you know, when he called and he asked that question and I shared with him. And, and, you know, so often when we share with somebody, we just, we really want them to respond right then. Of course we do. We want them to just say, great, okay, that's what I need. Give me Jesus. And sometimes they do, but more times than not, they don't. But don't lose heart. And that's why I'm sharing this story because, you know, that seed, and I had shared the Lord with him. I started sharing the gospel with him as soon as I got saved. We were friends. We were very close friends. He had been my roommate. He'd grown up in my house together with my family. He had kind of, you know, lost his family. His mother had died and so forth. But anyway, but, you know, there, there was that moment where that word just was buried in his heart. And years and years later, it, it all came to fruition. And so don't give up hope. And, and let's remember, we read that passage a few weeks ago in Isaiah here as well. God said that his word would not return to him void. And so let's just remember that. Let's keep that in mind. And so the Lord says uh, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So the acceptable year of the Lord is, it's a reference to this period of time that began with the first coming of Jesus and is still, it is still the acceptable year of the Lord. It is the year Year is obviously not talking about a 365-day year, but it's talking about a long, long period of time that began with the coming and the, the death and the resurrection of Christ and goes on to this day, this, this day of salvation, this acceptable year of the Lord, this, this season where God is inviting all people to come and have their sins freely forgiven and be reconciled to him and be brought into a relationship with him, be made his children, that acceptable day of the Lord is still, we're still in it today. And and it it was pronounced in that synagogue on that Sabbath day when Jesus read this passage. But I want you to notice the very next thing it says. It says, and the day of vengeance of our God. That day has not yet come. We are now in the acceptable year of the Lord, but there is a day of vengeance coming. And here's here's a fascinating thing. And this is where we see an interesting thing about Bible prophecy. Notice here that between these two, they're not even sentences, what are they, clauses? There is a 2,000 year gap. Amazing, a 2,000 year gap right here. The acceptable year of the Lord, pause, 2,000 years, fast forward, and we're still not at the day of the vengeance of our God, but it's coming. But I I say that just so we understand that uh, there is a need to think through prophecy and how the Bible you know, how how the Bible speaks prophetically in order for us to understand. Because clearly the day of the vengeance of our God did not begin, but clearly the acceptable year of the Lord did begin. 
but there's something to come in the future. And so it's the day of the vengeance of our God. And it is the day, again, specifically for the nation and Jerusalem to comfort all who mourn and to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What a, what a beautiful picture this is, really. So again, this is the future. This is the restoration of the nation. But I love this, to give them beauty for ashes. And, you know, this is one of those passages, again, where we just take this and we say, Lord, and, you know, sometimes in the circumstance we find ourselves in, we find ourselves where we need to be comforted. We find ourselves where we are mourning. And God will come and he will give beauty for ashes. Now, ashes in the in the context where, you know, maybe you remember hearing the, the term sackcloth and ashes. So people would put ashes on their heads normally to indicate their grief, to indicate their sorrow, to to indicate even their repentance. And so God is going to take and exchange those ashes with beauty and then replace mourning with the oil of joy. So just a beautiful, beautiful picture. Beauty, joy, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they may be called the trees of righteousness. And, you know, just these three things, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There's a lot of heavy things that happen in the world. There's heavy things that happen in our lives. And yet in the midst of it all, God is able to give us beauty for ashes. He's able to give us the oil of joy and he's able to give us the, the garment of praise. And I know for myself, when I spend too much time focusing on the chaos in the world, whether it's really, really close to me or, or out at a distance from me, either way, whatever, whatever the case, what, whatever that chaos is that I spend all my time focusing on, it brings about a spirit of heaviness. It just weighs you down. It's burdensome, isn't it? And we have to remember that the Lord wants to give us a garment of praise. And I know for myself, and I've said this dozens of times, but you know, there, there, obviously we need to be informed. We need to know what's going on. But you know, there is a time that we have to take our eyes off of all of that noise and craziness. And we just have to say, Lord, I'm going to focus my attention on you. I'm going to seek you. And as we do that, I know for myself, I find that I have that spirit of heaviness replaced with a garment of praise and the oil of joy because my perspective is right again. Oh, yes, there is a God. Oh, yes, he is in control. Yes, he has a plan. And all of the things that are going on in the world are moving us closer and closer to the fulfillment of his ultimate purpose. And so I take heart in those things and it, it takes that heavy spirit and lifts it and replaces it with the joy and the praise. So if you've been weighed down, if you've been burdened over the 
things you see going on around you today. Just take your eyes off of all of that. Don't stop praying about it and, you know, certain things we need to do about some things. But let's keep our focus on Jesus because that's where the peace is. That's where the joy is. And so verse four, talking about, you know, those who are blessed in the future in Zion, they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. So just a complete renewal of all of those things. Uh, Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks, your sons and and the sons of foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. But you shall be named the priest of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I, the Lord, love justice. So when Jesus comes, all injustice, all inequity, all of that will be dealt with and done away with. But we can't forget that the Lord loves justice today. We don't just idly sit by in the presence of injustice and do nothing because, well, the Lord's going to come and he's going to fix that. Um, no, we do what we can to rectify the the situation. And, you know, we're, we're in a moment, again, where justice is a, is a big topic. And social justice, we hear a lot about social justice. And social justice is really a loaded term because it, it can have so many different meanings. For some people, it means one thing, and for some people, it means something else. In my opinion, for a group of people, what social justice means, I don't think is justice. <laughs> I agree with some people. So, But let's just think about justice for a moment. When I was talking with Dr. Tony Evans the other day in an interview, he talked about society was intended by God to be built on the two pillars of righteousness and justice. And he talked about how what's happened in society, but also even in the church, you have a a bifurcating of these two things. Instead of them, you know, being seen together, they're, they're like split apart. And so he was talking about how some people, they're all about righteousness. So their concern is righteousness. So they tend to be passionate about the causes that are in that category of righteousness. And that would be, you know, righteous living before God, you know, doing things the way God says. So they would be passionate about the issue of of life and being pro-life. And they would be passionate about marriage and being pro-family. And they would be passionate about the wrongness of same-sex marriage and, and things like that. So that's righteousness and they're, they're passionate about those things. And then you got the justice group over here and the justice group tends to be more concerned about the poor and more concerned about 
just laws for all people and, and equality and um, those kinds of things. And there's a, a separation between the two. I mean, you, you literally could probably in some ways, well, conservative and liberal would be good ways to kind of define these, these two different categories. The conservatives are concerned with righteousness. The liberals are concerned with justice. But you see, in the Bible, these are not separated. They're together. So we should be equally concerned about both things. And what's happened historically in the church is people can be very passionate about righteousness but don't care anything about justice and actually do acts of injustice and not think twice about it. And likewise, some people can be all concerned about justice on this level, but you know, righteousness in regard to those things, they, they don't really care about that. And what Dr. Evans's point was, there's the two towers, he, I think he called them. And that's the way it works. God says he loves justice. He hates injustice. Jesus is going to deal with all those injustices. But again, we don't just sit by idly and say, well, you know, we can't do anything about that. The Lord's going to come and he's going to fix it. Now, I know people who are even saying that at this moment, you know, as we talk about the race issues and all of that that's going on in the culture. Some people are saying, well, hey, the Lord's coming back. He'll sort it out then. But, you know, we don't know exactly when the Lord's coming back. Hopefully it is soon. But I think the Lord wants us to work on sorting things out now, <laughs> just in case he doesn't come back as soon as we think he is. So some of the injustices can be dealt with. I know what it's like to, to I was, you know, with a person for a long time who observed a ton of injustice and believed it was injustice, but also was convinced the Lord was coming so soon that they would just fix it and he didn't really need to worry about that. But that didn't happen. And those injustices went on and, you know, they were left to be dealt with at a future time, but they should have been dealt with earlier. And so we, as God's people, we have to remember God loves righteousness, but he also equally loves justice. So we shouldn't be divided between the two. And our gospel should not be one that, that merely emphasizes, you know, personal righteousness, but it also ought to emphasize the fact of justice, not only in our personal dealings, but in our society as well. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth and will make with them an everlasting covenant. Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. So this is what Israel will say in the future. And of course, this is what we today would say in the present, right? That God has clothed us with the garment of salvation. He's covered us with a robe of righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus that has been put on my account that gives me my perfect standing before God.
for the month of September. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller. With so much social, cultural, and relational unrest, all of us need to forgive or be forgiven in either small or significant ways. Have you ever found it difficult to forgive someone for a wrong they committed against you? What if that person never apologized? How can you forgive someone who hasn't even acknowledged they have done something wrong? In his book, Forgive, Timothy Keller lays out the path of forgiveness that leads to reconciliation rather than the path of unforgiveness that can lead towards retaliation. You'll learn about the power of forgiveness that can bring freedom both to the one who forgives and the one who has been forgiven. We are living in a time where forgiveness is desperately needed. If you're struggling with forgiveness or even guilt, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I by Timothy Keller is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.